Al Simon with Sandler, and Simon says, let's talk business on Business Radio X. Excited today, excited, excited, a great long-term, long-time friend of mine is our guest today. But first of all, I wanted to say what Simon says, let's talk business is about. We spotlight local Metro Atlanta-based businesses and the professionals that run them and the excellent companies they represent. And we discuss best practices in business and today, Scott, welcome, man. Hey, uh, how are you? Really, 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 really good. Scott Francis is a longtime friend of mine, uh, and he is the CTO at a company called Trust Stamp in the AI world, in, in the, uh, uh, in the um, world of, of helping people protect their identities, protect data, right? It's just, it's, I mean, you got a lot of technical stuff here Th we're going to talk about. There's a lot to it. Unfortunately, it's a huge problem. Well, yeah, that's the thing, though. Everybody's aware of it because of all the breaches. And, of course, your, your, your clients, your prospects, they, they know the language, but they understand the, the, the issues here. So uh, let's, let's get into it and, and, and just tell us how you help these folks. I mean, how, um, you know, talking about AI, I know you, you want to help us with that because I don't have no idea what that is. Not a problem. But why don't we start out with what is um, the role of someone's identity? in the, the new digital economy. Sure. So if you think about it, whenever you do business online, one of the first things you have to do, let's say you're logging into your bank account, you need to provide your username and your password, right? So the reason why you do that is because that's is the first foundation that the bank knows that you are who you say you are. Right. Right. Well, the problem in today's world is username and passwords are horrible security wise right people write down their password they use the same password for everything yes and what you find out is in these breaches that are happening one of the first things they're trying to find out is what are these commonly used passwords that people are using so for example if you use yeah. the same password for every single website that you go on to which i used to do right and one <laughs> of those is breached now yeah. i'm going to go to every single potential whether it be financial institution credit card service and i'm going to try the username that you used at this that i gained and the password you used in nine times out of ten if you are one of these people who use the same username and password now i'm in oh okay yep and so there was a natural progression so we go from passwords to now what they call kba which is knowledge-based authentication okay i've and, heard that and these are the yeah. same things of hey what was the first car you drove or hey in 1985 which one of these four things was the address that you lived at and what we found out it, it's a better way but again in the breaches this are other types of information that people are stealing and more importantly even if you're not breached heck people don't remember that's right right yeah so in the kba world although effective it's really not very good so yeah. there, there's been other types of things like one-time passwords um, that have been used there's been what's um, one-time password um this is again where i i forget my password and they're going to send me a yes. code to my phone yes and it's only good once right. and i type it in and it says oh yeah we know that's okay well your phones also are where are being attacked these days and there's you know the malware and things of this nature that are right. trying to intercept these things or there's this thing called social engineering where i as the bad person will call into the bank pretend to be you and say oh i just changed my phone here's my new phone number um and then i'll go ahead and once I, once i've convinced a person that i'm you 
Um, then I'll start doing the the one-time password and use my new phone number, and then get you know uh, okay. take over your account that way. Wow! So it, it's a huge problem. If and these people worked as hard on a real job; they would make yeah. just as much money, wouldn't they? Well, <laughs> and, and the bigger issue, right, is in many cases not with the social engineering, but the other th in all these other type of attacks, they're being done by programs. So it's actually oh. an automated attack. They might be trying to do, you know, 50, 60,000 attacks simultaneously across, you know, a wide array of financial institutions. It's yeah. on average, uh, you know, in uh, last year, I want to say um, identity fraud and what's called synthetic identity fraud was a $20 billion industry mm. alone. And that's just the United States. That's not global. And it's growing. My right. Goodness. So one of the big questions that people, you know, constantly ask themselves is, well, how can I keep my things secure? Right. And so there's this whole field of computer science around biometrics, because the notion is your face, your fingerprints, your voice, your iris, all of these things are things that you carry around every single day. So you don't have to remember anything. You don't have to write anything down. Unique to you. Right. Yeah. Um, and more importantly, it, it's what's called a frictionless environment. Right. So because I don't have to remember anything, um, I don't have to carry a dongle or something around with me. Yeah. It becomes an easy way for someone to verify their identity. And so for a while, biometrics was seen as this kind of utopia or the silver bullet. The problem that you run into as with anything else is the bad guys are always, you know, they're they're working just as hard as the good guys are in yeah. order to figure out kind of ways in order to beat the system. And so if your biometrics is this, you know, golden kind of key, well, if the bad guy is able to get get hold of said key, yes. Now they've got an even better way to right. constantly kind of and this is where trust kind of comes in. We actually okay. started off as a biometric company. Did you? Right. And it was really around the notion of creating what's called proof of life. Okay. So, yeah, you, not only are we presenting an image of someone, but we're, we're, we're doing analysis in order to make sure that this isn't someone holding up a picture or a video of a video. So yep. we're doing some kind of AI analysis um, around this in order to say, yes, we have high confidence that this is, this is said person and they are a live, breathing human being. Right. Okay. Well, as we kind of got into the, the, the depths of, of biometric, we started realizing that there was still a, a larger fundamental problem, which was the data that we were capturing in the hands of the wrong person is very bad data. Mm. Right. It's, it's extremely valuable data. Right. And it's, it's data that's considered PII, which is a personal identifying uh, information. Same type of yeah. thing as your social security, your address, any of this, any of these pieces of data are called PII. Okay. And this is the data you don't want to get out, right? So your name, your address, your social, places that you've lived, anything right. that can actually tie me back to you is considered PII data and is some of the data that is the most important for the bad guys and the most important for the good guys to protect. That's why the bad guys go after folks like Equifax and so on, right? Absolutely, okay. and that was why it was such a big deal, because that yeah. was basically a treasure trove. Not only did they have your, did they get um, a lot of your information just on that, but they also got your financial information. They got all this correlation information. Um, what allows that to do is not only steal your identity, but what they're doing is they're doing something called synthetic identity. And what that okay. means is they're taking bits and pieces of lots of people's data, stitching it together to create a fake person, and then using that fake person to do crime. Oh, great. Right. Um, even harder to catch, right? Yeah. Again, 
it, it, the crazy thing is as you as you see what the criminals do, you understand they're they're pretty smart cookies, um, mm -hmm. and they are very driven at what they do. Um, so what we tried to do, or what we what we what you learned really quickly was what we needed to do was to create a way to first and foremost establish and identify identity. Mm -hmm. And once we've done so, we needed to create a mechanism in order to store that information that is in a non-PII way. Okay. Right. So what happens is we, we create basically a mathematical representation of the information that we've created. It is a one-way conversion, so it can't be converted back. All right. But we can use AI that when you come back again and you give that same type of biometric credentials, we can create a probability of, is that the same person? Using AI. Correct. Can you explain how that is done? Sure. Or? Okay. Um, so in general, what, what we allowed to do is we kind of create these predictive matching kind of algorithms. Okay. okay? So most biometrics, what, what, what basically is going to happen is, um, for example, let's say facial biometrics. It's going to take what it considers characteristic landmarks on your face. So think of them as just dots. Okay. And it's going to take measurements between those dots. Mm. Okay. In general, that's going to create the kind of definition of your face. All right. Okay. What we can do is then create these transformations of that information into, it's called a hashing algorithm. Um, but basically what... Okay. The different, what all that is, is again, is this one-way transformation. What we then do is train using our, the artificial intelligence part is we train the, the, the system to understand what is the characteristics of that transformation. So that when it sees two transformations of, of the same type, it can say, ah, those look like the same way I would, that I would expect these things to be transformed. Aha, uh -huh. okay. Right? And I can, and you're, it's never a yes or no, it is a, it's a probability. So it's going to say, I'm 85% confident that the information you gave me is similar to the information that I had on file the last time this person came by. Okay. And you come by again, and, and then, you know, now it's a 65%. And we're going to, we're, hmm, we're, we're not so certain about this one. And so what we give is we give this propensity scoring that allows the end customer to say, do I want to give kind of more attention to this person or less attention based upon how they're coming through? Okay. So are, are your, your prospective clients, are they business, are they government, are they oh, we're talking intelligence to community? Yeah, or, so okay. yes. Um, all the above. So our yeah. earliest customers were all around, uh, it's funny because the first product we created was actually much more around just uh, end consumers. Um, the, thought product, the thought process was this notion of you do business like Craigslist on the internet, yeah. you're, you don't know who you're talking to, and we're trying to create something that was a safety tool, for lack of better words, so that the end person, you would create some sort of uh, validation mark, which we called our trust stamp. You would send that to okay. the person, and we, again, we would do kind of background criminal checks, we would do sex offenders list, uh, and we would also um, do mining of social media in order to say, here's kind of a correlation, and if we found anything that's, that's you know, strange, or we, we'd kind of mark the score down, much like how a credit scoring would be. Okay, that makes sense. Right, yeah. um, and, and that's how it all started. What we, what we didn't realize at that point, which we kind of got uh, brought into from various incubators and things of that nature, was the, 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 the depth of the financial industries. <laughs> So what happened is we started with this idea of a safety product. The financial industry says, no, you're absolutely in the wrong market. We have a much larger problem. 
So we kind of got, we kind of shifted, if you will, and created something that was much more around preventing identity fraud, the synthetic identity fraud. Yeah. And then that came the big focus. And then as as the the landmark of the the the, the biometrics kind of ecosystem evolved, we started realizing the notion of protecting identity is actually a bigger problem than just the fraud in its own right. And so that's what's kind of moved us more into this notion of the how do we create a non-PII identity? Because this allows you now to do all of your system banking or, or any type of online financial transaction, but do so in a way that if the bad guys got it, they wouldn't even know what they had. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I got it. Good. <laughs> you know all those acronyms. I, you, you, you walked me through it. Yeah. yeah. Sadly, it's, it's, not a, it's, it's not a 10 second elevator pitch yet. Yeah. Um, there's a lot to it. Certainly right. is, yeah. But it's it's comforting to know that you've got this and you're working on it and you're developing it and it's getting better and better. Yeah, it, it's been yeah. a process. Um, yeah. And the interesting thing, right, is there's there's constantly new forms of biometrics that are being created yeah. that we are actually spending our time and resources figuring out the how do we now create it in this, this kind of non-PI hashed representation that, again, I can still later yeah. do comparisons on, right? Because we actually don't even want to know what the data is, right? We're we're kind yeah. of the the the, perv- the 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 rails of the system, if you will, but we don't know whose hash it is, and we don't know any of the data contained that this hash might represent. We are just yeah. the mechanism that these businesses can use to transact. Okay, well, that keeps you safe too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. if we if, if you know if we were breached, we have no information that is useful. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that hash itself is completely meaningless and only becomes active when you yourself come into there, provide your credentials, and a match is made. Okay. Now, I can imagine, I'm just trying to think this through here, I can imagine that the average consumer um, is skeptical. Absolutely. And and fearful of biometrics in general. I can imagine. Yeah, I am too. Sure. Myself. Um, But also not wanting to have, you know, a big hassle every time they're trying to you know, get into an account or, you know, just do regular work and business and right. and, and stuff. So how do you make it easy and, and still lock solid? So that's that notion of friction, right? Yeah. That everyone, every single financial institution out there says we want to minimize our friction, right? And so there's a lot of ways, there's always that risk versus reward, right? And the other question is what is the size of your transaction, right? So again, if it's a $10, you know, type of transaction, then you know what, we're not going to require you to jump through a lot of hoops. If okay. it's a if it's a multi-million dollar deal, then yeah, we want to make sure that that this person is exactly who they say they are with zero question. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of things that can be done. Is that, is that because the $10 transaction, it doesn't really have the eye of the bad guys? Correct. You're not worried about that? Or, or the reality is for them to, they would have the, the, the for them to make kind of a, enough of a move of the needle from the for the bank to even care um it would have to be such a large number of ten dollar transactions that then they they notice the irregularity on their own yeah and they could shut it down okay right um what they're really afraid of is that those one or two really big hits or something that's systemic to the point where because usually what happens if if they have a systemic problem um and most of them do strangely enough um, do they really um but they don't they just don't want the pr on it right right so they actually will pay the the people to you know, basically hush money of the people that are actually defrauding them in order to just make sure that people don't know about it. 
because it would cause a potential run on you know on the banks themselves. If they think if you think your money's not safe, then why would you keep your money there? Yeah. Um, and again, wow. that's part of it. It's that's part of the issue. Crazy. Right. Um, but yeah, it's kind of to your point. Um, the, the 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 problem becomes a very systemic one, and it becomes one that 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 you know. The friction involved, in many cases, what you want to do is use what's called, called a multi-factor approach, right? Okay. So if I think about facial biometrics, great, let's do that, and let's maybe do something where it's a whether it be a password, and again, we, we don't like passwords or or, or finger biometrics, right? So okay. the way I unlock my phone, in many cases, I might do my my thumb, my fingerprint to unlock it at first, and then I might also do a little pattern. And that's two pieces of authentication that I've just given. Right. As long as it's easy for me to do, I, I, I do it kind of second nature. Right. Right. There are fields of biometrics that are being done called behavioral biometrics that are actually really interesting. Um, the way you move your mouse, the way you type on your keyboard is actually unique to you. Is it really? Yeah. And the, the actual, the U.S. government, Department of Defense, is, is utilizing it with the military um, right now. Um, because they want to do something that's called continual um, authentication. So the way you walk, your gait, so they'll actually yeah. put information on the phone that's measuring your walk, measuring how you hold your phone. The, yeah, the, the angle that you hold your phone in relation to your face, again, very unique to you. Incredible. Yeah, and so the, what they're doing is yeah. they're constantly doing this authentication methods. Um, so there's ways that, that you can do things, um, again, the, some people get creeped out by that, right? Because now the question is they wonder, are they are always being surveilled? And in some cases, maybe they are. And, and for the Department of Defense, that actually makes sense to do so. Absolutely. Right? The secrets that they are. It's the world we live in. Right. Because what, yeah. what they want, well, their argument is, um, you know, general so-and-so is on their computer. They walk away for a second. And, and someone else walks in right behind them. They want that computer to immediately lock. Yes. Right. Or general's phone, same type of thing. Yes. Um, Again, in the, in the standard kind of uh, consumer, you and I, I don't think we need that level. Um, there are certain types yeah. of things though, that we can do, um, whether it be, again, a multi-factor biometric or a, you know, a challenge phrase with uh, uh, you know, something else that yeah. we can do um, and provide a much greater level of security. But, but corporate fraud is very real. Oh, it's, it's huge. And I know, I know that, that, that large companies especially are worried about that because they, you know, they can get an employee who is compromised, paid by a competitor to do certain things. Sure. And, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. And you get the standard phishing, too. We, we, yeah. we, we get it all the time, which is hilarious, where we'll say, hey, you know, this is the email from the CEO of the company saying, you need to wire, you know, for this quick thing, I need, you know, $15,000 wired to this account. You know, what they don't know is, you know, we're a small company, and the CEO is sitting right next to me. And I'm like, you know, Andrew, did you just? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that, and that's a strange email you just used. Yes. Um, and it happens. And, and yeah. you'd be shocked how many people actually fall for it. And so, I mean, one of the products we created just, you know, on a lark was this notion of using the same biometrics and the same hashing with email. And so that it actually encrypts the email with my biometrics yeah. that can only be decrypted by the recipient's biometrics. Yeah. And it was something wow. that, that that actually the uh, that governments you know some of the government institutions are are, are, are kind of interested in because um, it also now you have that kind of notion of the the, the chain of, of kind of of who's holding it is protected and no one else except the recipient or the recipient list can actually decrypt it makes sense yeah, yeah. so once again this is this is Al Simon with Sandler and it's uh, Simon says let's talk business and we're talking with Scott Francis the CTO of Trust Stamp. Scott, 
how did you get into this business? <laughs> how, did, how did you happen to get here? Yeah, it's it's been a long road. So mm-hmm. I started off, you know, undergraduate as a as a computer science major. Um, started off as a head down coder. You know, took any job I could get at first, right? And this was. Um, kind of got the startup in my blood. I worked a lot Did of the startups during the dot-com era, so I, I saw the good and the bad of startups. <laughs> um, I've worked everything from uh, you know, Fax Service Bureau, which was, used to be the old Fax Spammers. Um, I've, been, oh, yeah. Yeah, I've worked in telecom, uh, was working um, in, uh, for a, a uh, enterprise class server development we were actually when i was in austin texas um and we built some of these really neat kind of enterprise level computers um that company kind of went under but at the same time uh, google actually came in and uh and interviewed us all and then i spent almost a decade at google did you really yeah i didn't know that yeah mm-hmm. and uh, and loved learned a ton about just kind of how to run business uh large scale kind of thinking um, kind of, but then had this kind of opportunity, and I, I had swore myself I was never going to do another startup. Um, but <laughs> when talking with one of the founders, if you have to swear to yourself that, then you're, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, but it kind of, it, it was it was this kind of series of events that kind of played out where it was the right decision at the right time. Um, it was time for me to leave Google. Um, this seemed like an interesting opportunity. Um, very early kind of uh, stage startup and where I felt like I was gonna really kind of be able to put my mark on something. And they were delivering in ways I didn't think they were, they should have been able to deliver. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of, it, it made me interested. Um, so kind of, you know, after kind of some soul searching, a little praying, kind of jumped in both feet and kind of been there ever since. So three years now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, been been at this at this kind of roller coaster ride. Tremendous, and you've got you've got people on your team all over the world. Yeah, we we do our development in in primarily in Warsaw. I've got QA in the Philippines. We've got people in the states, obviously, mostly mostly here in Atlanta. Okay, um, we've got uh, a gentleman in North Carolina, and we've got some people also in the UK currently. So yeah, it's a, definitely a global company. Because um, it's a global issue. It is. In mm. in today's world, it's so much easier to actually stay connected. Um, and this is, again, something that I was used to at Google. Um, I managed people in the UK, in in Dublin, Ireland, in California, in, in Atlanta. And so yeah. you kind of, once you get used to kind of the, 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 the kind of standard problems that, that geography lands, you know, you kind of learn how to work past it. And that's tremendous. So, Scott, if someone wanted to get a hold of you, mm-hmm. what's the best way to do it? So our website is actually uh, truststamp.ai, okay. um, a great place to, to find out more information about the company. Um, obviously, uh, uh, my email address is, is sfrancis at truststamp.ai or sfrancis at truststamp.net. Um, again, those yeah. are probably the best ways. I, you know, I, I, I never answer my phone, so please don't call me. Uh, I'm getting ready to talk <laughs> about that exact issue right there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, usually digital methods are the best. Um, yeah. I'm on LinkedIn, obviously. It's easy to find me there also. Okay. So Scott Francis, F-R-A-N-C-I-S. So sfrancis at truststamp.ai. And the website is truststamp.ai. Yep. Thanks for it. being there here. Absolutely. This is great. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like I, I learned so much more today and feel so much better about my identity. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, again, it's... As with anything, people are, yeah. are, are scared about the changes that are going, you know, in place. One yeah. of the things that we always try to make the argument of is, if I give, you know, for situation a solution such as ours, if I give you my bio, if I give a biometrics and it's done in a protection that 
under the same way that we do, what you're actually doing is preventing someone from stealing your identity, yeah. right? Because I've already kind of locked in my credentials, right? My, my, my financial institution, now they actually do have a way to check, you know, is someone coming in pretending to be me actually me or not? Yes. Right? And so it, kind of you need to think kind of, you know, put the kind of standard thinking on its head of the, you know, do I, do I want to get this out? versus the, if I give it out, what benefits do I get? And if, if, the, if the institution can't tell you the benefits, then again, I would, I would question whether I wanna give it out to them or not, because clearly in many cases, they should be able to tell you what those are. Yes, they should, and they need to going forward. Absolutely. Or they're gonna lose the trust of their customers. Well, any, any data you give out online, because again, mm. the, the, the next kind of um, stage of what's coming is this notion of self-sovereign identity, right? Yeah. And this is now I own my data, I can, via kind of these technologies that we're talking, I can assert who I am, and then I can prove certain things via cryptographic uh, uh, proof about me without actually giving you the data. That's awesome. Yeah. That would make everybody feel a whole lot better about all this stuff. Make the bad guys get a real job. Absolutely. That might be nice. Yeah, well. Maybe they can come work for you. <laughs> yeah. So this, is, this has been a great conversation with Scott Francis, the CTO at TrustStamp.ai. Give him a, well, don't give him a call. No. Contact him digitally. There you go. Actually, uh, I'm, this is Al Simon with, with Sandler Training, and, and uh, we're a sales performance organization. I'm getting ready to, to, to do a couple minutes here on a topic, which is, a, which is really about what you've been talking about, Scott. It's about prospecting. It's about uh, prospecting today because the way people used to build their pipeline uh, even five years ago, doesn't work anymore. I mean, the metrics are very clear. It doesn't work anymore. But still, companies, sales professionals, they still need to get more opportunities in the pipeline. Well, how are you going to do that? How are you going to get more opportunities in the pipeline if people don't answer the phone like they used to? Right? And it's, it's just so hard. And people, uh, studies show that these days people do not even check their voicemail. So leaving voicemails may be a waste of time in, in, in most cases. Uh, and on top of that, the average decision maker gets over 150 emails every day. So, it, it, you know, so let's say they had a half a day of meetings. That means that they're probably not going to get through all their emails, which just piles up the next day. So, you know, it's not uncommon here these days to talk to someone who says they got 500 emails in their inbox. It's a lot of noise. Guess what's going to get deleted? The salesperson's email, most likely. So. It's a, it's a different world these days, and we have to be a whole lot smarter about it. We're working with our clients to figure out the best way to do that. And um, so, you know, e even LinkedIn, Scott, even LinkedIn, there are so many people fishing on LinkedIn, uh, a lot more than there used to be just even six months ago. It's amazing how fast we see these things changing. LinkedIn's taking steps to try to minimize that just like everybody else does. Uh, for example, if you... You know, if you send a, uh, an email to someone that you're not connected with, you can't send them a second one unless they respond to the first one. Well, that's a good first step that LinkedIn's taking. But again, uh, from a standpoint of, of our clients who are trying to get new business, who are trying to get pop, uh, opportunities in the pipeline, they're trying to increase their, you know, their, um, you know, their, their sphere of influence in the world and, 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 and meet more people in their target market, how do you do it? You know, if, if, if email's not a good way, phone call's not a good way, voicemail's not a good way, even LinkedIn messaging is not a good way. How do you do it? Well, interesting, interestingly enough, the best ways we find to still get opportunities in the pipeline are, are tried and, to, and true stuff like asking for referrals. 
who'd have thunk it? <laughs> Networking, trade shows, uh, strategic alliance partnerships. In other words, taking your existing network of people that know you and you know them and expanding from there and doing it smartly. That is still the best way to do it. Uh, now, there is still a, a, a way to use digital prospecting that can be effective. I, I got an email this morning. Uh, it was a digital prospecting email, but it was all wrong. It was all, it was all about this person and, 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 and his company and their features and benefits and superlatives. It's all about them. Guess what I don't care about? <laughs> I don't care about them. What do I care about? I care about can you help me with the issues I'm facing? And the only way to find those things out is to be smart about how we go about prospecting. So our clients and us, we work really hard on getting, helping them do that, to build their pipeline, to, to get more opportunities in their pipeline. And anybody here is listening today that wants to know more about how to do it for themselves, well, you can call me. <laughs> and you can leave me a voicemail because I will, I will, I will uh, listen to the voicemail and I will respond. Uh, or you can email me. So it's Al Simon, or so it's al.simon at sandler.com, S-A-N-D-L-E-R, uh, or 770-622-7000. So al.simon at sandler.com or 770-622-7000. And, I mean, we really have to be smart about how we prospect today because, and one of the reasons is because what you're talking about, Scott, people are so on edge about their identity, about people... Uh, you know, messing with them that they don't know. Yeah, it's the world we live in. So this has been Simon Says. Let's talk business on Business Radio X. Call me, email me. Let's get this thing going. Good selling. Mm -hmm.